Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? This is the Believe in Blazer podcast. I am your host, Stephen Vaughn. I'm with my man and my co-host, Tori Jones. You can catch me on Twitter at Stephen underscore V-O-N. Catch Tori at Tori Jones, Y-T. Tori, what's going on, my man? Uh, not much, man. Been enjoying my Saturday. Watching Yusuf Nurkic go off in international <laughs> basketball, which was fun, man. How's your day going? Yeah, man. Uh, I-, I can tell you what. I wasn't expecting to see a monster Nurk dunk today or a Nurk step back three, but that's what I saw. Uh, we'll, we're, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit, but yeah, i just been watching football, man. College football's back. I'm excited. I played some bets last night, so I'm ready to go. Get ready for the real sports season, football, basketball. Uh, it's all going down, but... Tori, first, I want to talk about like uh, the Blazers, not just Nurk, but the Blazers in general. And I want to touch on uh, the Blazer broadcasting. I know you heard this, and it was the biggest, you know, it was big news in Portland where the team wasn't going to send the broadcast team on the road. Everyone in Rip City kind of, you know, galvanized together, whether it was different radio stations, whether it was different types of fans. And we all kind of got together and just talked about how terrible it was and the decision was reversed luckily now the broadcasting team is going on the road just like what was your initial thoughts when you saw that the broadcast team wasn't going to put it on the road and then they were only going to use one camera for them to use back at home to denounce the games it was just a bad look it's always a bad look when you're doing something that a can come off as cheap but then also b you're the only team in the league doing it It would be one thing if maybe this was a league-wide idea that other organizations had, all right? Then it wouldn't look as bad. But when you're the only team and you try and pass it off with the excuse of, we're trying to improve the broadcast in other areas and spend money in other areas of the broadcast, that just says to me, oh, well, you don't have the money to do that and send your announcers on the road, which comes off as cheap. If you want to be innovative and a leader as a broadcast... You got to shell out the extra money to do that. You can't sacrifice one area to try and supplement another. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the Blazers. And the thing is, the Blazers have a great broadcasting team, right? Calabro is awesome. Lamar Hurd is awesome. Brooke is awesome. You go to the radio side. Travis Demers is awesome. Michael Holton's great. And it's like, you're just making it harder for them, right? Like, we've all had those type of jobs where, you know, the boss makes it really hard for you to do your job right. But even though you're good at your job and you do it correctly, he'll make it harder for you. And I think that's just what the Blazers did is like, we can save a little money, but it's going to be a lot harder for you to do your job well. And so there would have been just little mistakes here and there. And, you know, me now being in radio and broad podcasting, like I actually would notice these things. Like I would notice mistakes that the people would make now and it would bother me. And so it was just, it was a real minor league move to make for the Blazers to come out and do that. Um, You know, I'm glad that the Blazers reversed it. I don't like the fact that they, you know, (laughs) I don't want them to give in to fans all the time. And I don't want that to be like the the main thing now is like, oh, if we don't like a decision, let's just complain more. And they're going to change their mind. But I do like that they made the right decision ultimately, because, you know, initially we thought maybe it was Calabro that didn't want to go on the road because during the COVID year uh, he sat out and he decided not to do it. But that wasn't the case from all the sources I heard. I talked to numerous people. It was not any of the broadcasting people's decisions to do this. It was all upper management, all Blazers management that decided to cut the costs and try to save a few bucks here and there. And it's like, how much are you really saving just to cause your broadcasting just a little bit of problems and for the fans to be against you? It just didn't make any sense. 
Yeah, I don't think there will ever be a way to make remote broadcasts sound like they're there in person. I don't know how you mix the audio so that there's no noticeable difference. And then also, as a commentator, you feel the energy of the stadium. You feel the energy of the stadium. On the road, when the stadium's pumped, that's obviously very bad for the Portland Trailblazers. And um, having the contrast with a pumped-up stadium and then, you know, Calabro. Calabro does a good job of playing both sides, but I've always enjoyed radio broadcasts for that reason. Uh, Brian Wheeler in the past, who used to be a part of Believe, he did a great job of uh, painting the emotions of the game. And it's hard to get tapped into the emotions of the game if you're watching it on a monitor, man, I, I just don't know how broadcasters could do that um, in a way that seems authentic. No, right. And I think everyone's just excited to not be the only team, like you said, to have this decision. Like that, again, you made the point of they're the only team to do this. And it's just a bad look, man. It's just a minor league move. So I'm glad the Blazers, you know, realized they made it a mistake and they came out and they made it right. But, you know, it, it ultimately, this is another reason why I have such a hard hard time putting all my faith, all my belief in this organization because they make these kind of silly mistakes and silly decisions that don't make sense. So like, why am I going to trust them? If they can't put the broadcasting team in the right spots, what am I going to trust that they're going to put the right players in the right spot or get the right players in this organization, the right coaching staff, the right front office? It's just another thing that hurts my trust with the organization. And so, so for that reason, like it just bothers me even more. Yeah, I mean, at least they listen to the fans, all right, because there's been some complaints in the past that they just don't seem to listen to the fans, but on that note, at some point, just put together a fan council or something. We've seen it in sports or whatever, and you can toss out ideas to this fan council, and they'll give you feedback as to, oh yeah, that's not going to go over with the fan base, or it will. Um, it seemed like they almost leaked this just to see what the reaction was, or they didn't think it would leak, and they didn't think the reaction would be that strong. I don't know, man, but uh, you got to value feedback from the fans as an organization, and the best way to do that is just communicate with them, see what they think, you know, behind closed doors before something like this comes out, and then there's this whole mess, and then you're getting roasted by your entire fan base. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so again, ultimately, they made the right choice, which is good. Uh, it, it sucks that it, you know, took a couple days to figure it out. Like, why can't they just make the right decision? But, you know, ultimately, they made the right choice, and I think we all are happy for that. But let's move on, Tori, to things on the court. And mm -hmm. I want to I want to talk about Yusuf Nurkic. You mentioned this off the top. Nurk today we're just uh you know behind the curtains here. We are recording on a Saturday, right? College football Saturday week zero. Nurk Bosnia taking on France in a FIBA game. Yusuf Nurkic tonight. Tori he goes for twenty one points, nine rebounds, four assists. Hits a nice step back three. Has a monster dunk in the game. He's had a few of these performances in the FIBA games. You know he's wearing number zero now. He's had a great a couple of great performances. Looks like he's in a lot better shape, like he's slimmer, a little quicker. Do you think this is a sign that maybe Nurk is maturing a little bit after he got this, you know, his second big contract? Because the Blazers really need him to have a big year. You see, a big game like this happens on the international scene for him, and a big part of me just gets excited, man. Like, what if he can start shooting threes? You know, you get yeah, yeah. a little carried away with the optimism. So part of me is just super optimistic. Like, oh, man, this dude's ready to go. I'm looking forward to it. Because 
not only did he have a huge game, he had a huge game against Rudy Gobert. He wasn't just going up against some scrub that's not in the NBA. He was going up against arguably the best defensive setter in the NBA. And he scored on him in the post a couple of times. Like, he just looked good. He looked confident. It was just awesome to see, right? But obviously, I don't want to get too carried away with, oh, look at this one international game where he is kind of the guy there in Bosnia. I don't know if the, I don't remember if there's anybody else in the league that plays for that team, but his th- his shot looked good. Uh, his shot looked smooth. And that's one of my biggest hopes for him this year is if he can become a consistent threat outside the three-point arc and space the floor for Damon Ant, it's going to be that much harder to guard Damon Ant. You're, they're going to have more space to make things happen. You're going to spread out the defense more. So uh, that, that's kind of my biggest hope. His three-point shot looked good, but it's looked good in past years and hasn't really resulted in much. So I don't know if we could take anything away from this, but it's fun to see at least. Definitely, no. I mean, and he the monster dunk is the thing for me. Like, he's always been criticized for not finishing inside. And so to go up against Gallagher Rudy Gobert, um, I don't believe the dunk was on him, if I'm thinking correctly, but he kind of... Vincent Poirier. Yeah, yeah was it was on him, because uh, Gobert had switched over on the rotation. I'm just watching right here. But uh, just to see him finish like that inside, you know, that's like... Uh, that's old Dirk, right? Like before the leg mm-hmm. injury, he could do that where he pump fakes a guy, takes a couple dribbles and makes a play off of that. And Nurk is so skilled that even if he didn't finish inside dunk, he could have passed that ball out and got to someone else because that's how good he is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like it's fun to watch him do that. And you got to hope that he does step up and does that next season. Uh, just to uh, clarify, uh, Dazan Musa, he was on the Nets. He is on the uh, Bosnia on the Bosnian her hers and go right, man, let's just cancel that part out. The, uh, bo- the, the Bo- <laughs> I'm not going to try yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Bosnia team, uh, in France, you know, they got a lot of guys, uh, Luwalu Cabreau, Evan Fournier, Rudy Gobert. So they got some guys on that team as well. So it was, it was a good competition. Nurk again, 21 points. I think the question is, like you said, the question was with him is, can he step out and shoot a jump shot? Right? Because he's never been a great finisher on the inside. It's always around 50%, maybe a little more, a little less, can he step out and really provide that type of offense to be able to shoot you know, a 20-footer or even step behind, step out behind the three-point line and hit some threes? I think that's really important going forward for the Blazers in this Chauncey Phillips offense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a key thing to note, too, is they beat France. And France was phenomenal in, what, the World – or no, it was the Olympics last year. The the weird year messed me up. But um, so they so they get the win. Good for them. I really hope that he's able to shoot threes consistently this year. And if not, I hope that he doesn't shoot too many. Right. Right. That's kind of the hard thing to figure out is if he's shooting 31%, how many threes do you want him taking per game? Because uh, he can probably take four or five at that rate. Defenses aren't going to really extend out on him if he's only shooting 31, 32%. Now, if he's shooting 35, 36%, then that's about a league average three point percentage. Then defenses might respect him more. It might be a little bit more of the game plan for a defense heading into a game. So I think the key for him, if he's going to be shooting multiple threes a game, he needs to be shooting a good enough clip where he makes defenses respect him. So he can be a floor spacer so he can draw the big man out of the paint so that a big man not only has to worry about protecting the rim, but they also have to worry about Nurkic shooting threes. So that's kind of the key for me with his three point shot going into next year is can he get it to a respectable point at that point then I'm cool with him shooting threes. If not, I don't want him shooting three or four games. 
Yeah, also important to note, uh, Nurk, 31 minutes tonight, he did foul out in the game. So, uh, you know, classic Nurk situation there. Has a couple of big plays, but does foul out. But he also uh, fouled out Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert fouled out of the game as well. Uh, in 37 minutes, he played. So Nurk, uh, one of four from three, two of five from the free throw line. You'd love to see a little better from the shot. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good good start for Nurk and just kind of, kind of some positivity uh, for the Blazers going forward. I wanted to also talk about this, Tori. You tweeted out, uh, you retweeted it and quote tweeted about uh, some isolation numbers for the Blazers and where the NBA guys stacked up, where the Blazers stacked up. And, I, and it got me interested in it because, you know, when I think about the playoffs, I always think about you got to make tough shots, right? You have to create your own shot. We see in the NBA Finals with the Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum just couldn't get his shot going in the ISO. Jalen Brown was doing a good job of getting it, but they needed a couple guys to do it. So I was interested to see where the Blazers did just in the regular season. Uh and in the office that they have with Chauncey Billups. So I put up some numbers here uh, and, and just see what, what your thoughts about him are. So Dame last year, uh, he had 4.4 possessions a game where he was isolating into a shot. He averaged 1.01 points a game, which is towards the career low for Damian Lillard. But the guy that I'm really worried about here, and we talked about it a little bit on the first podcast, was Anthony Simons. And just the step up he's going to have to take. So last year... Even though he was averaging a lot of points and he shot the ball really well, he was still averaging only 0.76 points on 2.6 possessions on ISO. So he was a really not a good isolation player. He was much worse than Brandon Williams on the team. Brandon Williams had a higher higher efficiency, and even Jeremy Grant high higher efficiency. Kind of related to you know way he was actually way less efficient than CJ McCollum ever was with the Blazers. So I think for Ant, I think this offense we talk about how we want to take Dame and get a little pressure off of him. Does Ant have that ability to become a better isolation player? Because we know he can shoot the basketball. We know he can play in the pick and roll a little bit. Do you think he has that ability to step up and become a better isolation player? He doesn't have to be the efficiency of Dame, but can he get up to, you know, a point per possession when he does isolation? I think that would be really big for the Blazers. Yeah, and with him playing off Dame, he won't attract the best defensive player on the other team. Without Dame last season, he was being guarded by whoever the best perimeter defender was on a, on an opposing team. So I think that'll make a little bit of a difference. He'll have a weaker defensive player on him in isolation situations. But I think the key for him is he just has to finish better. He has to finish better. He also has to get to the free throw line a little bit more, which we talked about in episode one. Getting to the free throw line is a super efficient play out of isolation. The problem is he just struggles getting to the line. So being able to drive the paint, create contact and finish through it, but then also create contact to also get to the free throw line, I think would take him up a step in terms of his efficiency in ISO situations because we know he can shoot off the dribble. His floater game looked improved last year. His mid-range pull-up looked improved last year, and we know he can shoot that three ball. So I think it just comes down to can he get to the free throw line and can he finish inside and use his athleticism, his freakish athleticism to finish over some guys, to finish around some guys. I feel like he could use his athleticism a little bit better around the rim as well. So I think that's kind of the key for me uh, in terms of him becoming a better isolation scorer. Yeah, I mean, being so young, he's still learning how athletic he really is, right? And we saw some videos of him dunking and stuff. But I think the question I want to ask you, Tori, is with the Chauncey Billups offense, uh, you know, Terry Stotts was a lot of pick and roll. And then if all else broke down, it was Dame go ISO or CJ go ISO. With the Chauncey Billups coaching staff and the Chauncey Billups offense running, how much ISO do you think is going to be run? Or is it going to be a lot more just off-ball stuff, off-ball screens, those type of things? It better not be as much ISO as we've had in the past, man, because I've always felt like you can't 
win in the playoffs, at least against the best teams, if your main thing offensively is isolation. Now, of course, during the course of a seven-game series, teams get to know each other, teams get to know each other's sets extremely well, so you have to be able to score out of isolation because things can bog down and you need somebody to create something out of nothing a lot of times, but if that's your game plan going in, it's just it's too easy to guard in a playoff series and you're going to be going up against the best defensive teams in the league. So that's why I, in the past, had been an advocate for switching up the offense. And there was a couple years we were last in assists and I think last in passes and we'd have a good offense during the regular season, jump into the playoffs and our offense regressed against the mean. So I always wanted more ball movement. We didn't really see it last year. I think that was due to Dame being injured, not looking like himself. Chauncey didn't want to shake things up too much and wanted Dame to be comfortable. In the end, it's just, I just think Dame was hurt. But uh, this year, I'm hopeful that they move the ball better. They implement some sets, you know, some quick hitters just to get guys in certain positions. And then, you know, you can freelance off some quick hitting plays, right? So I'm hopeful this year the ball movement's better. I think it's harder to guard in the playoffs. And that's the thing. If you move the ball, move players, and it doesn't work out, and you have eight on the shot clock, that's when you give the ball to Dame and run a pick and roll, give the ball to Ant, run a pick and roll, or isolate. Yeah, going talking about that, too. We talked about this uh, on 750 The Game on the BFT with John Canzano, we were we were shooting back and forth about the tiers in the NBA, tiers of players, and where does Dame fall into tiers, right? You know, we got the ultimate tier, Giannis, Luka, uh, you know, Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, you can throw whoever you want in there. Dame, I don't think, is that elite, elite tier, whether you want to throw LeBron in there or what or not. But, you know, we were kind of talking, and, and I think me and John were kind of on the same page. We think Dame's more of, like, you know, a top 15 player rather than a top five player. And I, I think a lot of it, maybe it is, maybe it is because he's coming off the injury. I haven't seen him for so long, and I've just underrated him because of that. Or, over, yeah, underrated him because of that. What what are your realistic expectations for Dave this year coming off the injury? Is he going to come back and be better than he was before the injury? Is he going to come back and be worse? Like, I feel like he's around 15, but maybe I'm wrong on this. I mean... If you just go based off of what he did the year before last year, I feel like you have to have him at worst 10th. Like, I'm not putting a guy like Jason Tatum. What about or a guy John like Jimmy Moran Butler? What about a guy or, like Jimmy Butler? This was the big one. I'm not putting Jimmy Butler over See, him am, either, I man. Am. Because I think that Damian Lillard offensively can take over games in ways that Jimmy Butler struggles to. Jimmy Butler can take over a game and obviously is a much better defensive player. I think Damian Lillard's on another tier offensively than Jimmy Butler. And when you jump into talking about the best players in the league, most of the time it's what can they do on the offensive end because, in my opinion... You can control the game more as an individual on offense than you can on defense. So Dame in 2020 to 2021 season had 29 points per game, seven and a half assists, shooting 45% from the field. That's 52% from two, and that's 39% from three. I feel like if Luka puts up those numbers, it's, oh, he's a top five player, you know? Dame, that's the last time we saw Dame healthy, and that's a phenomenal stat line. The year before that, he was 30 points per game and even more efficient. So I feel like he's still a top 10 caliber player when healthy because I think last season was just due to injury. I'm not ready to knock him down outside of the top 10. Um, And I think this year he's going to remind a lot of people that seemingly have forgotten 
what what he can do. I'm not saying that's you. I was just you know it, it, too, it too many people me, on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> Too many people on Twitter seem to have forgotten what this guy will do, man. I see Trey Young's better than him. John Morant's better than him. I think this season he's going to get back to that 28, 29 point per game scorer. And here's the thing. Even if he doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean he's not as good. It could just be the offense a little different, that sort of thing. But, you know, if I, I also expect him to be better defensively now that he's healthier than he's been in years. So that's obviously a part of this. I'm putting him, I'm putting him borderline top 10. And that was going to be my next question is what do we expect defensively? Because you know, the injury, you could tell it really bothered him, right? Like some people said it wasn't a real big thing and he just, you know, he probably could have played on it, but it seemed like it really bothered him. And he talked about it, how it really was affecting his game. You know, for me defensively, that's why I can't put him in that top tier, right? Maybe he's good enough to be the best player on a championship team. Maybe not. I don't know, but to get into that top tier, you got to be in a, average to an above average defender dame is definitely not that do you think chauncey can get dame to get to that level or is it just kind of too late with him being 32 years old and coming off the injury you know you don't get paid necessarily to play defense tory and you know this as a baller like you get noticed when you play offense and you score dame can do that and that's why he's done so well in his career and he's a top five career earner in the nba but in order for the blazers to take that next step i really think he's got to become and at least an average defender on the defensive side. And if Chauncey can't do it, I don't know who can. Do you think Chauncey can do that with Dame? I think Dame's physically capable of it. So theoretically, yes, Chauncey could. Uh, I think Dame had some average defensive years earlier in his career. It's just, it's a product of how much is the injury hurt him on that end. I mean, he's certainly athletic, can move his feet. The problem is, one, he struggles getting through screens, and that's a technique issue that could be fixed, and hopefully Chauncey will help him fix that. But I also think part of the abdominal issue, you would see Dame run into screens and just almost like double over at times. Just he would die on screens, and it never really made much sense to me. I'm wondering if the abdominal issue could be a a little bit of it. Uh, Maybe not. But that's the thing. It all comes back to how much has he been hurt. I think physically he's capable. Yes, he's six foot two, but has a decent wingspan. He's not going to be a guy guarding forwards or anything. But we've seen him at times switch on to Jason Tatum and do just fine. So it's really hard to make a prediction on what he is defensively this year. Uh, I'm just. I think he's going in with a clean slate. He has better defenders around him. If he doesn't have to do as much offensively, and the system can work for him a little bit, you, you got a you got a NASCAR race outside. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, dude. That was, was, that, was it that loud? Yeah, someone just drove by the house, man. Something, man. Um, but I. I, I don't know. It, it's hard to predict, man. Optimistic me says he'll be an average defender next year. But if you look at the past five years, obviously he's struggled. It's just you've seen flashes from him against guys like Jason Tatum, against some other good players in the league. Don't want to read too much into those, but I feel like physically he's capable. Uh, I, I, there's just been something missing. Maybe I, that's injury. I think the question for me, Tori, I want to ask you is, can the Blazers take the next step? Can they get to the Western Conference Finals? Can they become a championship-level team if Dame doesn't improve his defense. I mean, they made the Western Conference Finals with Dame, CJ, and Ennis Cantor. But they weren't a real contender. They Nobody really gave them a shot. I mean, look at the history of the NBA. There's always these teams that make the, the Western or Eastern Conference Finals that aren't threats, right? Dallas made it. Atlanta made it. 
they weren't actual threats to make it to the NBA Finals and win the Finals. The Blazers were the same situation. They weren't going to beat the Warriors. They weren't going to win the championship. I still don't think that's a championship-level team. So, yes, they got there, but, like, can they make that next step and become a championship-level team without Dame taking that step? I mean, I agree with you on that team that year, uh, uh, but they also were up, what, 15 points in three of the four Western Conference Finals game? I feel like... They were a little bit better than that. Like, I don't think they, they were going to beat the Warriors in seven, but if they don't choke, at least just a couple of these games, it was ridiculous how they choked a couple of those games, then you're talking about that being the series, at least. The Warriors didn't have Kevin Durant, so they were a little bit shorthanded. That was the year that Kevin well, Durant like, came like back and then tore his Achilles. This year, do you take, did you take Dallas seriously when they played the Warriors? They got him a couple times. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not. But see, that's my point. Is I think the Blazers are in the same, we're in the same exact spot as the Mavs. Like Luka Doncic was awesome, Dame was awesome, and after that, there was no one else. And so I think if the Blazers had the right team around him, Dame has to carry it on the defensive side. Yeah, I mean, for me, here's my question for you. And we talked about this. Me and Eric talked about this on one of our streams. How highly ranked do the Blazers have to be defensively? Do they have to be a top 15 team? Do they have to be a top 10 team? How good do they have to be defensively to be at least just a dark horse contender with an outside shot and maybe make it a run to the finals? Well, historically, you have to be a top 10 defensive team to win the NBF championship. So for me, that's where it starts if you want to be a real contender. I mean, if you're talking fringe contender and make the Western Conference Finals, top half of the NBA, but if you want to be a real contender, you have to be in the top 10, and it's just kind of been proven over time in the NBA, like you have to have an elite offense and an elite defense, and so for Portland, I think that's going to be the toughest part. Yeah, I I think they can be 10th to 15th. That's my optimistic kind of like roof for them, which is saying a lot considering how bad they've been in previous years, but you throw it back to what, 2018, 2019 season, I believe they were ninth defensively. It was either that year or maybe the year before, and that was with Damon CJ starting. Now they also had a Nurk pre-leg injury um, for a good part of whatever year that was. And then you had Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, really good defensive wings, Portland kind of got away from that. You had Norman Powell last year who isn't as good defensively or anywhere near as big defensively as either of those guys. And then you had Robert Covington who's not an on-ball defender either. And then off the bench in previous years, we had Carmelo Anthony, Ennis Cantor. And then there was no imagination for a while. Just a ton of drop scheme under Terry Stotts. Like, I feel like everything that could be wrong defensively around Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum went wrong in regards to the roster, in regards to the type of defensive players we had, in regards to the effort last season, and in regards to the schemes in previous years. So 2017-2018, they ranked eighth in defensive rating, and that was with Damon CJ. I'm hopeful that that is kind of the ceiling, because I think they have the defensive talent this year that is reminiscent of the Blazers team that year with Al Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless, and then, of course, you still have Yusuf Nurkic starting. Now you have Gary Payton II, Josh Hart, I believe, in defensively. Uh, Jeremy Grant makes more sense with, uh, you know, as an off-ball, maybe secondary defender. I like the defensive makeup of this team around Dame and Ant. I'm hopeful that Dame can be better than he has been in the past, so I feel like the ceiling defensively might be a little bit higher than other people think. But of course, that's just my optimistic spin on it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those are the the two biggest questions for me this season is one, the growth of Anthony Simons. Can he take that next step to be an elite scorer? But number two, 
is how the Blazers fare with this Chauncey Billups defensive style, right? And we saw it with Terry Stotts, like you said, a lot of drop coverage, a lot of really soft showing if they're going to show it all. Very rarely did they do that. And whenever they did, they would do it one time, then they would stop and they would never do it again. So with Chauncey, like, and we saw this the first few games of the season, they were being more aggressive than ever before, right? You talked about being last in the last in the league in steals under Terry Stotts. They definitely were not that with Chauncey Billups. They were getting out there, getting steals, trying to run, get easy buckets. I am very interested to see how the players react to that kind of defensive style for a full 82 games because these guys are a lot of veterans. I think uh, I think Chauncey and that system may be really good to a lot of younger players that are still trying to find their way in the league. But to get guys that are vets to buy in, I'm very interested to see if he can. I think he can because Chauncey's got that, you know, he's got the juice, right? He gets the finals MVP. He played in the league not too long ago. Players respect him. So those are the top two things I like really want to see this year, uh, see if Chauncey can get them going on the defensive side. But I know you are a giant Gonzaga fan, so I do want to bring this up. And you know where I'm going. Chet Holmgren, uh, you know, hurt his foot out for the year playing up in the pro. I'm, I'm just going to let you go off right now on people and tell them why it's not a big deal. I mean, the whole argument is that he's too skinny, right? He's too skinny to hold up in the NBA. He ends up with a Liz Frank or Liz Franck injury. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, you know, what, one of those things. I don't know. Yeah, something, something <laughs> like that. But basically, it's a, it's an injury to your to your foot. It's a bone injury, and normally you see foot issues with guys that aren't underweight. You see foot injuries with guys that are overweight. Zion Williamson is kind of the prime example of that, being a guy who's been overweight during his career. He's also super athletic, so that's a ton of weight coming down on his feet every time he jumps and lands. That's a ton of force that he's putting into the ground. That's the type of guy that'll deal with foot injuries like that. So there's a lot of people that said Chet Holmgren can't hold up in the NBA because he's too skinny. He doesn't have enough muscle, his frame, yada, yada, yada. And then he ends up with this injury. And I feel like a lot of people are using that to confirm the, their prediction that he was going to be injury prone and couldn't hold up. Right. But he's never had an injury history before. And the type of injury he got isn't the type of injury you just get from being underweight. So it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's funny because I see people that, um, you know, didn't, didn't want Chet Holmgren or don't think he holds up in the NBA. And now they're saying that the Thunder should take for Victor Wenbanyama, who has the same exact frame. He's just like four inches taller than Chet, but has the same exact frame that some people were railing on. And now, you know, there's no consistency in in those arguments. If you're against Chet's frame, you got to be against Juan Banyama's. I don't understand that, man. So as a Gonzaga and a Chet fan, that type of stuff annoys me. I'm curious to hear your take on it, though. I mean, can you imagine the Wimbanyama, Chet, and Pokashevsky lineup? Just the tall skinniness Ooh. of that lineup, dude. That'd be nuts. Here, here's my take on it, Tori. I, I understand what you're saying. But the thing that I fear about with all big guys, not just Chet, but all big guys is feet injury, right? We've seen so many problems, especially here in the Northwest, just of feet problems with big guys. And we see it in the NBA. That's the part that bothers me, right? Like he's so tall, but he already has foot injuries. I'm not saying he's injury prone. I'm not saying it's because of how skinny he is or his, his frame. Just to have a foot problem already and to miss a whole season, it really 
it makes me nervous, right? And I was never I was never the biggest Chet guy. I thought Chet was good. I didn't want the Blazers to draft him unless he maybe unless the Blazers had the seventh pick and he fell, which he was never gonna. So I'm not taking a victory lap. I'm just saying to be this tall in the NBA when it's it's mainly a guard league and to have foot problems already, like that is a problem for me. And if I'm the Thunder, like I am worried because just look at who like some NBA champions have been. It's never the seven footers, right? It's always the guards. It's the six, 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 five, six, four, six, seven. It's not the seven, one, seven, two guys. So for me, like it worries me that it's his foot. Cause that is one of those things where if it can't, if it's going to get hurt now, it's probably going to get hit hurt later. And it just, you know, he's then he'll never fulfill that potential. Now I still think he'll be a solid player in the NBA. He'll be a really good defender, Offensively, I'm not sure what he is, but I want to see him come back because I want to see if a guy like that does work in the NBA nowadays because there's really no one else in the league like him. Yeah, I mean, it's worrisome going forward. You never want to see foot injuries with big men. I agree with that. It just bugs me seeing people that take some joy almost and seeing him get hurt like see i'm glad we didn't get him look he's hurt see i told you so for me it's a different conversation obviously looking forward being worried about him potentially being injury prone or dealing with foot injuries now that he's had a serious foot injury compared to people that are saying see i was right he's too skinny or too underweight to hold up in the nba when it was just a freak play on a court that they had to stop playing on I don't know if it was giving them issues then, but it's also LeBron James. LeBron might have landed on his foot. It's kind of hard to see from the angle. Like, it's just a freak play. And I've heard some people say, you know, oh, well, his bones are too skinny. But we have a starting center, Steven, that has some very thick bones and has had issues with breaking them. And that, of course, is Yusuf Nurkic. So uh, we've seen stuff like that. And uh, this type of injury is actually seen more in NFL players, right? Who certainly aren't too skinny. So it's just a freak injury and, you know, worrisome going forward. It just bothers me to see people say and see I was right over something that they couldn't have predicted and has nothing to do with his weight. Yeah, I mean, talking about the NFL, uh, the most recent guy was Travis Etienne on the Jaguars. He got the same injury. Uh, supposedly, he looks great in training camp. So, you know, if you want to watch uh, Jaguar football, which I know not many people do, uh, I will. You know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a Jag fan because my boy is a Jag fan. So we watch him, but... uh you know, just watch how he moves, and maybe if you see him move well, I have a lot of faith that Chance going to come back. He works hard, uh, you know. He does this, but I, it's just it's just so interesting. Ted Holmgren is because we've never seen him a guy like that in the NBA, right? And I, for me, that's where all of my doubts come from. It's just like I like John Morant more than Zion coming out of the draft, but you had to draft Zion because we've never seen anybody like that. We've never seen a 6'6 guy that weighs 280 that can move and jump like that. So if it hits, it's going to be one of a kind where we've seen guys like Ja. We've seen guys like Ja who are like Derrick Rose or Russell Westbrook, just really athletic point guards. So with Chet, we've never seen a 7'1 seven foot, seven foot guy move around like that, have the guard skills, be a great off-ball defender with a shot blocking. So I really want him to come back healthy because we've never seen it. But I still do uh, have my doubts about Chet. Real quickly... Talking about the Pro-Am and the condition of the Pro-Am, in that game, uh, Tori, Jason Tatum, LeBron, uh, DeJounte Murray, Paolo Benchero, what do you feel, what are your feelings on guys playing in Pro-Ams? Like, do, would you, as a Blazer fan, do you want Damian Lillard, do you want Anthony Simons playing these Pro-Ams where 
you know what? When I was at Concordia University, I played in a pro-am at Jefferson High School, and we played uh, – my team was going to go up against Ime Udoka's team. Ime was playing for the Spurs at the time, but he sat out the game he played us because our team was terrible, and I think he just didn't want to get hurt because he wanted jokers like me guarding him. Like, that stuff can happen now when LeBron plays or Jason Tatum or Dame would play. They wouldn't throw guys like me out there. They would throw out other really good college players or other good professionals. But just in general, like, what are your thoughts – about like professionals playing in the pro-ams and the difference between like skill work and on court being live in shape type of stuff. I mean, it's hard to say how much these guys are playing behind closed doors and private runs and that sort of thing. They probably are. I mean, you've seen DeMarcus Cousins, I believe, in the past got hurt during a private run and Clay Thompson as well, uh, if I recall correctly. So it happens, whether it's a pro-am or whether it's a private setting. So I don't really have any issue with it. It's obviously cool to see. It's it's cool to see these random NBA players playing with each other. You see Tari Eason, who's a rookie this year, guarding LeBron James, who was like his idol growing up, and he was ecstatic for that moment. And, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see that type of game being played in Seattle. LeBron coming and playing in Seattle, who should still have their freaking team, by the way. But, you know, it's cool for the city of Seattle. The problem is the organization of it, I think, needs to get a little bit better. The court had issues. Uh, it was basically only a VIP event. Like, there's people that camped out outside of the arena that that Seattle program, the crossover, was played and they couldn't get into the stadium. They camped out and they were waiting for hours. They couldn't even get in. So the organization, if this is going to be a regular thing where you're going to have LeBron playing in it, all these NBA stars playing in it, you need to make sure to find a proper gym, maybe a bigger facility, because I bet if you throw them into, um, what it's not Key Arena anymore. What's it called now? Climate change. What's the stadium? Climate change, yeah, something something like that. Climate change arena. If you threw them in there, I bet you you'd get 10,000 people there. Especially you're giving away tickets for free. I mean, organize it better if there's going to be this many stars and it's going to be such a high-profile thing. I mean, you got the NBA tweeting out about it constantly. It's the dog days of August right now. There's not much news. There's no basketball. So it's cool to have that. You just got to organize it better, make sure the court's safe, make sure to have a proper facility, and make sure that if you have fans camping outside for hours, that you don't uh, punish them. Like, they got to be rewarded with at least being able to get into the game. So that's that's what I yeah, want to say. Yeah, no, and uh, DeJounte Murray, he came out and said, you know, it's great uh, playing these because the fans get to see them really up close because it is, you know, sometimes they're at high school court, sometimes a small college. Uh, the crossover was at Seattle Pacific University which is like a place I would have played at when I was in college. So it's like, it you know, the, the player, the fans are right on top of you. So I do think it's cool for the fans and stuff like that. Um, I don't think that anything should change. You know, these guys need to go out and play. I do, I do agree with you. It needs to be a little more organized, maybe a little bigger venue. Um, but just to make sure, you know, also same skill level type thing, right? Like being in game shape and being in workout shape is totally different. So I understand why these guys got to get out and get some open runs, uh, things like that. But I don't think anything's going to change. It's just too bad that this happened on such a high profile, uh, you know, pro-am. Like this was big news. Joel Crawford's tweeted out, like everybody had their eyes on it. And the number two overall pick gets hurt for the season. And then of course it's Chet who has so many doubters already. So it was just, it was just a perfect situation for everybody to be up in arms and complain about it. But yeah, I mean, it's a good take. And I hope that they continue doing this going forward. Um, 
more NBA news. Also, Patrick Beverly got traded to the Lakers for uh, Stanley Johnson and Taylor Horton Tucker. First off, I want to give my take on this story, and I'm just glad that I don't have to hear Laker fans tell me how good Taylor Horton Tucker is anymore. And that is my initial takeaway. What was yours? Uh, well, you know who it's going to be now. Now it's going to be we can trade Austin Reeves <laughs> and Max Christie for a star. That's what yeah, it's going to be now from God. that. It, it, <laughs> the thing is, they'd have to have no players under 30 to not have the conversations of trading a young, up-and-coming <laughs> superstar for a already superstar, something that's already established. So that was obviously the case with Taylor Horton Tucker, and it drove me crazy. Every time Laker fans would talk about trading for Damian Lillard, it was always like, Taylor Horton Tucker, he's a future star. Taylor Horton Tucker and two second-round picks. Yeah, give us two second-round oh. picks and Taylor Horton Tucker for Dame. Is it fair? And you're talking, fair. you're talking about a dude in Taylor Horton Tucker. Let me look up his stats right now. You're talking about a dude who last season shot like 41%. Uh, 41% from the field and 27% from three. Yeah, 26.9. That's bad. That's bad. Yes, he's still young. He's still only 21 years 21. old. Like, he was extremely coming in. Yeah, he's extremely young coming into the league, but I don't know if he's ever going to be a good starter, let alone a star-level player. Like, I don't think there's any chance he becomes a star. So, he's not that type of piece. And it's funny how it goes from... We're going to trade him for a star because he's a future star, too. Oh, well, I'm happy we traded him for Patrick Beverly. <laughs> no, I I totally agree. I think Taylor Horton Tucker actually has... Uh, I think he's one of those guys where he could play on a bad team and average 15, 16 a night on inefficient scoring. And so people kind of think he's good, uh, but he's never actually like a good basketball player. He just kind of could put up some stats. I thought I thought the trade for the Lakers actually was pretty helpful. Like I like Patrick Beverly. I know his defense has gone down, and a lot of it is just reputation. But I mean, you know this. Just in the NBA, if your reputation says something about you, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And so he is allowed to be more physical with guys um, and get up into people's faces and cause little problems, just like Draymond Green with the Warriors. Like he's allowed to argue every call. Patrick Beverly, same type of thing. I think that's going to provide a little bit of a uh, little bit of intensity with the Lakers. They don't think that they just didn't have. And so I actually like it for the Lakers. I think it's a good move by them to get off of Taylor Horton Tucker and get a guy who has proven to play uh, pretty well in the playoffs. He played pretty well in the playoffs this first round against the Tim or uh, against the Grizzlies. I think the Lakers, I don't want to say that I think they're going to make the playoffs as one of the top six teams, but I kind of think they're going to make the playoffs as one of the top six teams. Well, here's the problem you still have with the Lakers. You don't have anyone who can be the established third scorer. That obviously is Russell Westbrook, but he has become so inefficient and his decision making is not good. He doesn't play well off of AD and LeBron. So as a number three option, I have never liked the idea of Russell Westbrook in that role. I think at this point, Russell Westbrook is one of those guys who he doesn't, he's not good enough to be your number one guy and can always have the ball in his hands. But then as a secondary piece playing off guys, he doesn't fit. He doesn't fit. So I think that's the problem they're still going to run into is who's going to be that third scorer. Russell Russell Westbrook doesn't fit. Like, I still think they need to trade him, right? And Buddy Heald and Miles Turner is the trade out there. Buddy Heald is the third scorer would fit really well. He can space the floor, play off the ball, knock down threes at a, an insane clip given the types of threes he shoots and how many he shoots per game. Well, let me cut you off but, real quick. Sorry to cut you off, but what is the why why would the Pacers make any type of trade for Russell Westbrook? 
it would be the two first-round picks that the Lakers would give them in 2027, 2029. Those could be unprotected. They, I bet they would be. And if you're talking about but five but years from now, after LeBron might be retired. The Pacers want to make I the playoffs this year. I don't think so. You don't think they do? I think they do. I don't think... I, I just don't think they have any shot, and I think it would be completely unrealistic for them to have expectations of making the playoffs this year. You got Tyrese Halliburton, Halliburton. and Miles Turner as your best two players. I love Halliburton, but if he's your best player, you're not making the playoffs. Uh, he's, he's he's not that good yet, right? You You look at the Pelicans, you can make an argument that Zion Ingram and CJ McCollum are better than Halliburton, right? And they're a borderline playoff team. Now, the West is deeper, but I just I don't see there being any chance that the Pacers make the playoffs. I think they could honestly be worse than Orlando next year with Bancaro and Wagner's nice. And if Suggs takes a jump, like I think Pacers could be kind of in the same tier as Detroit. So if they want to make the playoffs and they refuse that sort of trade because they have some short-sighted goal of making the playoffs I think that's a huge mistake for them you could get back potentially top five picks that aren't your own five years from now for for guys that aren't going to ever probably help you win a championship because you're just not good enough and you're not going to be good enough for a while so I would do that trade in a heartbeat Russell Westbrook would as a free agent next year you save all that money a year from now then you can be a player in free agency maybe overpay somebody like a buddy healed you can bring back another buddy type healed type of player in free agency like you can replace these guys so um I if you get two first back low protections or unprotected down the road from the Lakers who will probably suck by then. I think you have to do it. Yeah, that would be interesting if the Lakers did get those two guys, but he healed Miles Turner. I think that would actually help him a lot and it would help my case of them being a uh, top six team. But uh, anyways, I just think Patrick Beverly actually is a good fit for the Lakers. You know, he provides a guy that's going to play hard. He relatively stays healthy for the most part. I think that's a big key for the Lakers just with them being so old and LeBron coming off an injury, Anthony Davis coming off injury of his whole career. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be good, a uh, good move for the Lakers. I, I I agree that it's good. It's just LeBron's 37. Yeah. Like it's At the, some it's point, not a, it's he's going to slow down. It's not a difference-making move by any stretch, right? Like, I'm not saying they're going to be the one seed or, like, their win total should go up because of it. I just think it's another good good player that has proven he can play in the NBA where Taylor Horton Tucker has proven that he's not an NBA player yet and same with Stanley Johnson. Absolutely. I agree with all that. I still think they just have some, some problems beyond that. That's the third score and that's LeBron being 37. When is he going to decline? And that's being, can AD stay healthy? And even if he does, is he starting his decline? Cause those lower leg injuries add up and you see a lot of players start to decline sooner that have injuries that AD has dealt with. So I think that's the two major issues, and um, that's why I'm still not super high on them. All right, well, that, that was enough of Laker talk. This is a Blazer podcast. Believe in Blazers podcast, Tori. Let's let's talk about the Blazers one last time to wrap it up before we uh, stop recording here for the day. I know that you saw this, and I know that a lot of people saw this, but the leaked Portland Trailblazers statement edition jersey that'll be worn for next year just got leaked. <laughs> You can find it all over the internet. I, I'm not going to send you to one place to do it, but it's basically a red jersey with a 
the Blazers logo right in the middle, the number kind of off to the side below it in a weird red color. It's just kind of weird and ugly. What what were your initial thoughts and what are your thoughts just in general about uh, this new Blazers statement jersey? So I saw an edit of Dame in them. They kind of grew on me a bit. I don't think I don't think they're ugly. I just think they're boring. I think you could have done something more with them. I mean, I hope that you know, they come out with some better jerseys because this is just one. And then you have the city jersey. I'm uh, fingers crossed that that's good. It's rumored that it might be the PDX carpet one. We'll see how that looks. But it, they're almost just running out of ideas at this point because you have all these new jerseys every year and then you don't reuse them unless you're the Phoenix Suns with the Valley jersey that they had the past couple of seasons because that was just such an awesome jersey. It just seems like they're running out of ideas, man. Yeah, I mean... I- I can tell you what, I'm not going to be a fan of the PDX carpet jerseys. I think that is very stupid. (laughs) Um, And I hate that Portland is known as like the PDX carpet. I just hate it every time. But I'm not excited about that. I I think everyone, and maybe this is just nostalgia coming out of me, but everyone just wants like old school Blazer uniforms, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, the late 90s, the mid 90s, those type of jerseys, just bring it back with the red and the white stripe on it. You know, the black jerseys, you know, Sabonis, Cliff Robinson, Rod Strickland, all these guys. I think everyone just wants those back. Or am I wrong about that? Honestly, I'm pretty happy with our basic jerseys. I like our basic jerseys. I like the stripe in front. Uh, It's pretty unique. Um, I have no problems with our, our white and black our white and black jerseys, man. The Blazer jerseys are, they're nice. Like the logo, the logo is very unique, which I love about it. And so I agree with you. Like, I think they have a good look in general, as long as they keep it simple. I think they're trying to go like a little too crazy with everything. One final thing that I want to touch upon that I forgot to get to. So on our stream a couple days ago on Blazers Uprise Live, which is my second YouTube channel, my co-host Eric Brandt, who definitely has a source, and I'm wondering if you've heard anything about this, but supposedly the Portland Trailblazers, after the Utah Jazz traded Patrick Beverly to the Lakers, apparently the Portland Trailblazers reached back out to the Jazz about a specific player that they have a lot of interest in. That player is Jared Vanderbilt who's a 6'9", forward, uh, very solid athlete, agile, uh, can protect the rim a little bit, play the passing lanes, would be like a good small ball five off the bench, I think. He's undersized, but that's going to be the whole identity, is playing passing lanes, playing aggressive, forcing steals, being undersized with the bench units. And right now, Drew Eubanks, Trent Watford, do they really fit in that as the backup five? So apparently Portland has interest in Jared Vanderbilt. However, Utah wants a first-round pick back, Portland owes their first next year to Chicago, so they'd have to unprotect that in order to trade a future first, which obviously isn't worth it for Jared Vanderbilt. Apparently, the Blazers also want to keep on, want to hold on to Keon Johnson, and uh, the Jazz don't have much interest in Keon Johnson. So it sounds like this isn't necessarily something that's going to happen, but Portland has interest in him. I'm wondering if you've heard anything about that that you want to talk on or what your thoughts are on Jared Vanderbilt being a potential option. Yeah, Jared Vanderbilt, I haven't heard anything specifically about him, uh, but you know, you've heard rumors that the Blazers would love to have a guy like him, and I think they would, right? It fits a need that the Blazers have. We talked about it last episode who the backup big guys are on this team. There's really not, right? It's Trenton Watford. It's Drew Eubanks. I think Vanderbilt is an upgrade over both of them. I do like the fact that he can play small ball five if you need him to. He can, you know, he's very aggressive. It was the game the Blazers played the Timberwolves, January 25th. So the Blazers were still in that mode of like, 
are we really tanking? Are we still trying to win? As they played, you know, they still had Nurk and McCollins and Simons and Covington still playing. Jared Vanderbilt in that game in Portland, 13 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, two steals and a block. And after the game, Chauncey Billups talked specifically about Jared Vanderbilt numerous times to the media about how well he played. And he loved that the, like loved his type of game. And so I thought when the Blazers acquired Justice Winslow, that that was the reason why. It's because Chauncey loves guys that just play hard, um, play defense, go after, be aggressive. I think Chauncey would love to have a guy like Jared Vanderbilt and would use him very correctly. Now, like you said, is he worth a first-round pick? Probably not at this point, but it might be worth it because he's the type of guy, I think, Tori, that kind of fits what the NBA is right now. We talked about this a little bit with Chet. Like, He's a little smaller than Chet, but he can adjust and adapt and guard guards as being a big guy, right? Like he goes out and he's not afraid to put his body in the line and guard a guard. I love that about him. I think Portland could use a guy like that. I don't know that he's worth the first round pick yet, but I, you could talk me into it if you really wanted me to, because I think he would be a great fit here in Portland. Yeah. I mean, issue is man, that first round pick we gave up in that Nance trade. That's, that's really what the holdup probably will be here is that has protections through like five years. If it was just Keon Johnson, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. I just don't think Keon has any value around the league, unfortunately right now, where I think Jared Vanderbilt is a guy that can play on a playoff team, right? Like I think you can play him on your, in your, uh, in your rotation, if you're a playoff team, you feel good about it. Like he's your seventh, eighth guy. You're you're going to that series and you're feeling good. Well, he also fits an identity, and that's what I like about what the Blazers have done this offseason is they've established a defensive identity that they want to have, and then they've gone out and they've gotten players that they feel like fits that defensive identity. I think the bench unit is going to play super fast, insanely aggressive on defense, and that's their way of making up for a lack of size. Jared Vanderbilt just fits so perfectly into that that it's encouraging that they see a player like that and realize that, okay, he fits the type of identity we want to have. That guy would would be good here. So I like that. I think the holdup is going to be, do they want to give up Keon Johnson or not? And apparently they love him, even though he's like their seventh guard right now. You, you know how it is with their with Portland and guards. The thing is, it would probably take just finding a third team that really wants Keon Johnson. And maybe you trade Keon Johnson and a second round pick to a team that's willing to give up a first for him. It's probably not going to be a super valuable first. You know, if it's a young team that has a first, like the Clippers first next year or a year down the line or whatever, then, you know, maybe you're talking and you can flip that first, obviously to Utah. Um, and Keon Johnson matches Vanderbilt's salary. And that's a sort of three team trade. That's the only way I see it happening. But it just doesn't sound like Portland's willing to give up on Keon Johnson, which is kind of frustrating. Yeah, I, you make a great point. Just the positivity that you could have around Joe Cronin and the guys he's targeting, right? Like he went out and he got Gary Payton, who's a defensive-minded guy. He went out and got Jeremy Grant, who struggled defensively in Detroit, but showed he can guard uh, when he was in Denver and Oklahoma City. You know, I think to see Joe Cronin go out and, you know, if he does, if this is true, right, if this is a true rumor that they want Jared Vanderbilt, I think it's a great sign. And I think that's kind of what this whole podcast was, just like positivity of the Blazers in the offseason right now, Tori. And usually I'm a pessimist and I'm the negative one, but, I mean, you're kind of talking into it. Nurk shooting threes at Duncan. Uh, Blazers going out and getting Jared Vanderbilt. Dame coming back healthy, man. I think uh, I think maybe I'm turning, turning my mind. That's what I'm here for, man. <laughs> just to hope, hopefully not to set you up for disappointment. Oh. I just think... 
There's a lot of fun things to look forward to. I, I said this numerous times. Even if this season doesn't go super well, there's so many intriguing storylines going into the season that are going to be fascinating to watch and fun to cover. So even if it's, you know, a 500 team, it's still going to be a fun team because they're going to play faster. They're going to play harder defensively. They're going to play aggressive. And you have a lot of storylines to cover. So um, even if even if I wasn't as optimistic in the team performing, I'm still just really looking forward to the season and media days in officially less than a month now it's august 27th that's what september 26th so it's less than a month man i'm ready to go and then they travel over to santa barbara for training camp which uh i don't understand that I, but that's, yeah I, if that's what they wanted if that's what they wanted he wanted to be in santa barbara yeah maybe. not a big deal to me but you know it is weird but uh well i think that's gonna wrap it up here for today again if you want any questions or comments you can hit me up at Steven underscore VON. You hit Tori up at Tori Jones YT on Twitter. We're still working on the Believe in Blazer podcast Twitter account. We will get that up and running at some point. And what we do, please follow us there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing and downloading. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.